Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the first team coach of Hartford Athletic, Harry Watling. Harry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Connor. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Harry, I suppose with the season just a few weeks away now, it must be raring to go, get back into the swing of things. Yeah, no, we are. We are absolutely. Um, you know, as you know, we spoke a little bit off air about the uh, the timeline between the finish of last season and the start of this season. For those that don't know, it's, you know, we finish around the November time. If you're lucky enough to go the whole way in the USL Championship, it's the end of November. But yeah, November to finish and then mid-March to start is a, is a long time, you know, to have an off-season in comparison to, you know, the football that we're used to, especially in the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, no, absolutely chomping at the bit and really happy with the group that we've got at the moment. And, um, yeah, training started well. Oh, thanks for being involved in the academy system for 99% of your career up until Hartford. Um, it's been very rare to have such a long off-season, you know, three, four or five months we were discussing off-camera. I mean, how did you exactly fill that time? And perhaps could, were you reflective of how, to, how you made sense, how you created order out of all the chaos which ensued last season? I think, I think the first thing was to, to certainly go home and decompress and put the ball down, as I like to say, um, and, and, and just, just sort of take my mind and, and go elsewhere. The, the problem with that is, is I'm football mad, so... You know, if I if I stop concentrating on my, you know on Hartford, then I'll be going to a game to watch Millwall or, or Chelsea or an Arsenal or a Tottenham in London. Um, so that was you know that was the first port of call to kind of decompress a little bit. Um, and I actually didn't start rewatching our games back again, probably until late December actually. And that was when the the you know the 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 order started coming in. Okay, so what did we do really well with what we had? And then, right, what can we do even better? Um, what would we sort of change? What would we scrap completely? What were the things that didn't work? And why didn't they work? And then what were the, you know, what are the things that we felt were, were really successful? And I think that was important in terms of my reflections to be completely honest with myself first and foremost and look in the mirror and say, you know, what could I have done better? How could I have assisted our players better? Did I get the team selection right on, on these, you know, on these particular days? And sometimes, you know, sometimes you do get it right and you still don't win. And that's, you know, that's really difficult. But I think concentrating on the on the process is really important for me. Um, and it was something that I was really conscious of last year. So, you know, I'm, I've, I've been extremely reflective over that off-season period. And I've also used the time to, you know, to my advantage, like you mentioned, it's, you know, it's difficult to get so much so much downtime. So I've I have gone to visit friends that I trust in the game, and I've gone to watch other people work, and you know, really, really looked at the the types of visits that I wanted to have. Um, I went in to go and you know watch a lot of my, my friends, Liam Manning at MK Dons, who, who shares a similar style of play to myself. Ben Garner at Swindon had a lot of conversations with Mickey Bill at Aston Villa um, and Alex Inglethorpe at Liverpool in, in the academy, amongst other people, but. Again, it's just about sort of checking and challenging your own thoughts and feelings on things. But I've really tried to use it to my advantage. Then out of curiosity, when the season is underway, I mean, have you any interests or hobbies outside of football, Harry, which kind of allow you that time and space to not only reflect, but decompress? Yeah, it's a, that's a really great point, actually. I've actually I've actually just started playing golf, literally picked the, cl the clubs up about a month ago. It's, it's interesting. It's quite funny. I'm sure if you asked any any first team manager 
what do you do? Um, what do you do on, on game day when you've got an evening kickoff? You'd get a million different answers, but we all feel, I'm sure we feel the same thing. I don't know what to do myself on that day. I always get the players in. So when we have a home game, I always get the players in in the morning um, so I can just have a look at them, look to see, you know, who's, who's feeling well, who looks good. And then we do the pre-match presentation in the morning. But then after that, what do I do from that point until the whistle goes? You're talking sort of eight, nine hours. So for me, I think getting on the golf course will be brilliant. It will be a brilliant release. It will allow me to probably get frustrated with my technique and my swing, but certainly forget about, uh, you know, the, the the permutations of what could happen in the game, which I think can be really healthy, you know, thinking about the what ifs, but also, you know, I, I do think you've got to give the mind a rest on game day so that you go into that fresh and you're able to be agile with the things that, that come your way. And as you said before, though, it's, it's tough to kind of get that balance, to have that idle mind when all that, when all it is is craving football at the end of the day. And I mean, something which we speak about a lot in this podcast, Harry's sitting on the shoulders of giants and the importance of having good mentors. And when we speak of your journey today, we can definitely say that is 100% correct. Um, some of the brilliant experiences you've had to date within Chelsea's youth setup, Millwall, West Ham, I mean, could you care to enlighten us and take us through those formative years? Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, before I do that, I, I just want to say that, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a product of those those environments. I'm a product of those people. I certainly wouldn't be where I am today without those people and those influences. And, you know, I'm really grateful for that. And I'm really conscious that I have to work hard every day because I just don't think I'm good enough to, to get to the level I've got to without working hard. Um, started off for me, um, you know, I, I started coaching after not being very successful as a player and got, you know, got through my level one, my level two and my B licence quite early. Um, I was a B licence coach um, at 17, turning 18, actually, when I did my final assessment. Um, and then I got a job working in the development centre at Chelsea and that grew into, you know, one night a week in the academy then two nights and three nights. And then it was... Monday to Monday to Thursday and Saturday and Sunday games. In the end, I was lucky enough to be the under-9s coach there. Um, I worked across the 7s all the way through to the 11s while I was at the club. But I think the under-9s is a really special age group, actually. Um, it's their introduction to being in the academy, um, you know, more regularly. It's the, you know, it's the parents' first real step at commitment to a club. And, you know, it, it, it takes a real focus from you know, from, from yourself as a coach working in that age group to make sure that you're facilitating their learning correctly and you're not being too uh, first team with your thoughts and, you, you know, your, your delivery to the players. But I had a wonderful time at Chelsea and then, then had the opportunity to work older at Millwall and, and made that step. Millwall's, you know, my local club. I'm from a part of London, south-east London, where it's predominantly Millwall. My entire family were Millwall supporters and it was it was actually something which... If I'd, you know, if I'd have thought about where I would want to play, if I was going to be a successful player, I would have wanted to play at Millwall in the first team. So to be able to work at the club, um, I spent a brief time there as a, as a younger player um, on two different occasions, actually. But to work for that club was, was certainly ticking a box and great experiences at Millwall, worked with some brilliant people who, you know, with the resources that they had there, done some phenomenal work. And then, and then the last academy I worked at was actually West Ham. And I have to say, you know, was mightily impressed with the people at West Ham and 
and the philosophy, especially people like Terry Wesley and Liam Manning, who I've just mentioned. Um, spent three great seasons at West Ham, worked, worked 15s, 16s, um, worked a little bit with the 23s as well with Liam and Steve Potts, which was great. Um, took the 17s on a couple of tours, come over to America, to the States, which is actually where I, I got my flavour for the States, actually. I brought the, brought the 17s over to uh, the Adidas GA Cup in Dallas, which was brilliant. But had three great seasons there and then obviously got the call to work at Hartford. So that's a, you know, a quick whistle-stop tour through the, through the journey so far. Um, having Jonathan Harding on, who thoroughly researched German coaching in his book, Mensch, a few weeks ago on the podcast, we spoke for ages about the pathway German coaches are exposed to from a young age where they can climb through the ranks and they do serve that apprenticeship. It's very rare nowadays in the UK, although it's changing coaches like yourself who've been through the academy system for 10, 12, 15 years, then creating our own pathway in the game. I mean, there's no real shortcut for getting that experience, Harry. And I suppose as we spoke about earlier on, being on the shoulders of giants. But I think you're a little bit unfair to yourself in saying those people helped you so much because when we speak about South London, for example, we speak about the football talent that's been coming through the last few years. But if you look at the coaching talent, not only the likes of yourself, but the likes of Mickey Beale, the likes of Scotty Parker. I mean, there's a really good generation of coaches that are coming through, making their way in the game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what I would, you know, I'd love my predictions to come true, but I said something about three months ago. I do feel that we have broken that door down now with, with, with our, giving our young players an opportunity. And I think the coaches are next. I really do. And, and like you say, Scott Parker lived on the house that backed onto my house and Mickey Bill lived two, two roads down from me. Um, Lee Johnson as well is, is another local from, from, you know, 20 minutes from, from where I live. He, he was sort of more Kent based, but no, absolutely. And I do think you touched on the German model. I, I think they have been, you know, world leading in regards to, you know, pushing their young coaches. You look at, People like Nagelsmann, you know, Harry's gone, gone through the ranks, and you know, it, it's not a given. It mustn't be a given. It's got to be. It's got to be down to your, you know, your results and your talent and your work rate. But I do believe that you know, if you give, you know, give more young English coaches a chance, I think they'll they'll definitely surprise a few people and, and and do really well. You've only got to look at some of the you know the young guys that are coming through at the minute doing exceptionally well in the game. But I think another part of that is those names we just mentioned, Harry. These guys, typically by default of their character, including yourself, seem to be very much not afraid to take risks. What I mean by that is they're not restricted or inhibited by their environment. Lee, who's a good friend of yours, who's on this podcast, you know, he's been to the likes of India. He's been to places coaching in Africa. Uh, Michael Beale, obviously a good mate of yours. Uh, he's at Jared now and people will see the tip of the iceberg. But for how long was he rolling Brazilian soccer schools in southeast London? Uh, he went on a journey for lifetime coaching in Sao Paulo. Um, the likes of yourself moving to the States, taking your first ever managerial gig at the tender age of 31. And I think it's getting rid of those self-limiting beliefs. I think it's changing a perception for a generation of coaches, as you alluded to. 100%. You, you have got to, you've got to, you've got to be brave enough to take that step. I mean, last year... I come out and I come out with my eyes wide open. Um, no assistant, wasn't able to select any of my staff. My wife um, 
as actually, you know, she's got her own career in football. She stayed at home. So it was it it was tough, but I mean, what a what a decision, what a great decision to do that. And I do think sometimes you just you have got to be brave and jump. You've got to be brave and jump. And I and I think you know you mentioned Mickey when he went to Brazil and he was calling me a lot because he's you know he's, he's misses and he's, he's his boys at the time wasn't out there with him at, at the start, but he you know he inspired that. But you you can go all the way back. You can look at Venables and you look at, can look at Robson. Um, you can look at Gascoigne and Ince when they played, you know, people that are brave enough to go and explore other other cultures. You know, we were speaking off air about the journey that you've you've you know you've gone on as well, kind of, you know, moving out to, to Dubai. I think it's I think it's brilliant. And I would say to, you know, any young coach that's listening to this, you know, certainly don't just be tunnel visioned and just think that it's just the Premier League or it's just a category one club. It's, there are other environments out there which can absolutely shape you to, to be a better version of yourself in the future. And when we say looking at the ideal, I suppose, culture, ideal character to train your kids and work in talent development, we'd be looking at openness. We'd be looking at a willingness to learn and willingness to be adaptable. Some of those key, key unique traits which mark out a good talent developer. But growing up in those systems at Chelsea, Millwall, West Ham, I suppose nowadays seeing a lot of those players playing at that first team level, did your expectations align with how they and what you initially thought the future game would look like, how it actually developed? Yeah, what a question that is. Um, in, in short, in short, no, I certainly can't sit here and say that, you know, I, I, I knew what the game was going to look like, I suppose, post Barcelona 2010, 2011, where, you know, that was easily one of the most influential teams which completely changed the direction of football as we know it. Um, but I remember I remember seeing uh, Tino Livramento come in on an under-8s ID event at Chelsea. Um, and the thing that impressed me the most was his capacity to run. He just kept running. His work rate was incredible. Wasn't the best technically. Has always played in that position. Has always played as a right-back or a right-wing-back or a right-winger playing 7v7, used to love playing on the side of a 2-3-1. But you could you can you can look at some of these lads and you can say, yeah, I could I could see him. I could see he was going to be a first team player. But then there are other ones which totally come out of nowhere and surprise you. Um, I speak about it a lot. Billy Mitchell at Millwall had every single credential that you wanted in terms of his character and his mindset to go to the very top of the game, but was a, a late developer physically and was a late developer technically. But the minute he got that scholarship and got in the building at Millwall full time and was able to make sure that he was out before everybody else, to make sure that he was in after everybody else, to make sure that he did 50, 60 extra repetitions. He's just gone from strength to strength to strength. And, and I think De Declan Rice is another one. I remember I remember the week that, that, that Deck was released from Chelsea. I actually couldn't believe it because he was Mr Chelsea. I remember he used to be on the back of the minibus singing Chelsea songs when, you know, when they would go to away games to play Arsenal or whoever. And um, for him to come to come back how he has, you know, shows a, an incredible level of character. Listen, for me, he's one of the best, best centre midfield players in world football now, Deck. And he's only got there down to that, I promise you now. Talent will only get you to 18, but... I think character and mentality will get you to 36 and it will get you a proper professional career. 
Um, and I think those traits, like we just spoke about, are really important. And I think the game now is is really harnessing those characters to to develop the future game and, and to make the game even better than, than what it is today. We speak about it so often, the difference between a gold medalist and a bronze medalist at such a young age can just add up so much in the future. But when we speak about characters, someone like yourself, obviously making the transition between coaching to management, just curious, I mean, what was the impetus that I suppose led you to making that hugely career-changing decision? Yeah, I think it was two things. I think one of them was um, I'm a business owner in the UK. So I started my own business at, at 17 um, and got it up to, I think it was 32 full-time employees. So I understood dynamics. I understood how to get the best out of people. The business was a coaching business. So it was, it was, it was speaking to people that were, you know, like-minded. Um, and understood, you know, understood that exact dynamic that I'm talking about. But, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to really push myself. And when that was developing at the same time as what my academy career was developing, it was always something that sort of in the distance, I was always looking to, you know, maybe I can, you know, maybe I can push and be a 23s manager. Maybe I can be a number two somewhere. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm good on the grass, so I'll be an asset to someone. Um, but I've always been, I've always been someone that I will stand up and I will take accountability and I will lead and I'll lead by example. You know, if, if I ask you to get in at 6am, I'll be in at five. I'll never ask anybody to do more than what I'm, I'm willing to do myself. And then when this opportunity came up, it was, it was a no brainer for me. I know it was, it was one where I got the phone call and it was a phone call to say, you know, there's an opportunity to be a manager at 31 years of age be the youngest manager in the league. I knew realistically I wasn't going to get an opportunity like that inside the top four divisions in the UK for at least another five years, at least. Um, so it was, it, like I say, it was, it was those factors that really, you know, that really drove me towards that decision. And I've always wanted to do it. I always felt I could get there. Um, you never know when it's going to come. You just have to make sure you're ready. And then, obviously, judging by that last line, me it entails that you must have dreamt of it. I mean, you were planning for it. It was always a future milestone. What I suppose, what were the key differences between what it actually looked like in reality between what it was to you in theory? Yeah, do you know what? Again, I think I'm really lucky because I had the mesh of being a business owner and working in you know three wonderful academies and understanding the dynamics of both. It is literally a mixture of both. Um, there's no real difference to working with a scholar at West Ham to what there is working with a first-team player. It's just probably their expectations and the pressure they're under is a little bit greater. And the money they earn is more. So how do you, you, know, how do you motivate a player that's earning X in comparison to Y? They're, they're questions that you have, to, you, know, you, have to, you have to answer. But I think ultimately... Every footballer wants to be better. They want to be performing at their, they want to achieve their maximum potential. So it's about getting that buy-in and selling, selling the idea, getting the buy-in and then inspiring the execution of that idea from those, from those people. Again, taking that from the business world and the coaching world, really similar of, okay, this is, this is the dynamic of this deal. We need to get this deal over the line. I need you to do X, Y, and Z, and this is why. Teach them the why. 
it's the same thing, right? Saturday, we're going to play 4 4 2. We're going to play a diamond. They play three in midfield. I think we can outnumber them in midfield with, with a lower point and a top point and crowd them out centrally. If we play two strikers, we feel like their two centre backs won't be able to won't be able to deal with that. Here's some clips to show you why. These are the sessions we're going to do. Again, it's just inspiring that execution of people going, actually, I want to, I want to follow this guy. I believe in him. I think, you know, I think he's his ideas. He's driven, he's confident in, in how, he's, how he's explaining this to me. I'm going to follow him and, you know, see how it goes. And what were some of those top, early top processes and early wins which you achieved initially upon taking the job? Obviously, before in your career, you're working with a lot of academy players, although you do facet that by saying you were a business owner and you still are a business owner. But achieving buying amongst a group of players were some of them may in fact be older than you, Harry. What were some of the key steps you took earlier on to ensure that success? Yeah, I, 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 when I come in from day one, I, I, I explained to I explained to the players that it wasn't about me. Didn't ever want it to be about me. I wanted it to be about we and us. Um, in all of my interviews, you'll hear me say our team. Proud of our team. I never say I'm proud of my team. It's our team. It's it's, it's mine. It's yours. It's the supporters. It's the owners. It's the people that work hard, so hard selling tickets in the front office. So I got that initial buy-in. I, I wanted to wanted to explain that I was a selfless person and I would work so hard to make everybody successful. Um, and then, to be honest with you, Connor, ultimately, you've got to produce. You've got to produce. So when I got on the grass on the first day, I wanted to show the players I could coach. I wanted to show the players I could command the audience. I wanted to show the players that I knew my stuff. I had good detail. I wanted to surprise them in terms of maybe exposing them to things they hadn't seen before, getting that wow factor. That's really important. And then ultimately looking at, okay, who are the key people in the room? Who are the key leaders in the room? How can I win them over? And then how can I get them to help me win the rest of the group over? Um, and we, we had a, you know, we had a magnificent start last year. Um, and, you know, we, we probably overachieved a little bit. Off, you know, I think I'm fair to say that. But it was ultimately, like I say at the beginning, about that buy-in. And then if you look at the common characteristics of a first-team coach, you just touched upon there, Harry. I mean, most of us, we see 3 p.m. on Saturday. Right, that's visible. That's the tip of the iceberg. But within that, there's so much that goes on, managing up to owners, managing down to players, being able to speak eloquently in front of the fans managing stakeholders, managing players, contracts, being involved in a recruitment process, which I know you are yourself. I mean, is there something to be said there about the future coach being something of a generalist, a seven or an eight in most areas, as opposed to, you know, nine or 10 out of 10 in some areas and shit or bust in others? Yeah, I, th I think it's a tough one because you certainly have to, you have to be a hard worker. You have to be a smart worker. You have to have good time management. If you're lucky enough to be able to have ample staff, then it's about being very good at delegation. If you don't have ample staff, then you've got to be outstanding at delegation because there's also, you've got to remember, I'm the manager of the football club. I'm not just the manager of the team. So even if my owner says to me, no, Harry, you're just the manager of the team, I'm not because I've got all the guys in the front office that are trying to sell tickets I've got people that are trying to get sponsorships for the club. I've got to come across in the right way when I speak in the media. I've got to come across as an asset to the club. Um, and I've also got to be able to see, and this is a really key thing, 
Who's got enough energy left in the bucket at the end of each day? Who's overwhelmed? Who's overworked? And, and it's about understanding that dynamic as well to say, do you know what? Go home. You've been brilliant. Go home today. Have an early one. Come back tomorrow and give me everything. And it's you've got to do that with your players. But I think it's easier to do that with the players because you see, you know, you can see fatigue, you can look at GPS data, you can have conversations. But to do that with your staff, I think, is, is a you know really healthy dynamic. Do you have to be seven out of ten at everything? No. I think one thing you have to be good at is hiring people that help your grey areas. So I know my grey areas. I'm, I'm, I've got decent self-awareness now. I didn't used to have, but I've got good self-awareness and I've got decent awareness of others. Then the next step is about having awareness of your environment. So if I know that my analysis skills are no good, then I need to hire someone whose analysis skills are their absolute super strength. If I know that you know, I'm, you know, I feel that I'm, I'm good on the grass and that's one of my strengths, but probably need someone that can get in and around the individual players to just get in their ear. And I need to bring someone in that can do that. So an expert hires an expert. I think having your super strength, you've got to live by that. You've got, you know, you've got to be, I think you've got to be, you've got to make sure that that, that one thing or those two things you're really good at fly that flag because Nobody wants nobody wants a, a coach who's a six out of ten at coaching. Nobody wants a manager that's a five out of ten at you know in his team talks. You you like you just said you've got to round it to a point, but make sure that you're you're completely aware of those super strengths and, and have them on show. At the start of that um, conversation, Harry, you had you said something very interesting about sending home players or staff if they were visibly tired or whatnot. Was that something that you had picked up earlier on in your previous roles within the academy environment? Is that something which perhaps you took some time out, reflected upon and realised, listen, I mean, with burnout being a prominent topic at the moment, this is something I need to take responsibility of. Do you know what? I'll be really honest with you. It's, uh, it's actually come from my parents. So so my, my father is a, is a scaffolder in the UK and he gets up at half past four in the morning Um goes downstairs, makes himself a cup of tea, doesn't get in till seven o'clock at night. Um, and I remember when I was younger, um, his boss every now and again would give him a Saturday off and how I would enjoy that Saturday with him and how he would be over the moon to have that Saturday off. And it's just stuck with me. Uh, you know, you don't want, don't want people taking liberties with that, but for, for the for the head coach to say to one of the members of staff, do you know what? Tomorrow it's quite a quite a quite a casual day. It's quite an easy day. Have a day off. You've been brilliant for us. I really appreciate everything you're doing, and I just want to I want you to spend the day with your family. My my assistant, he's he's his missus is flying in on Thursday, and I don't want him to come in. I don't want him to come in. I want him to see. His, I want to see, want him to see his missus. I want him to enjoy that time. I think you get. I think you get repaid double with with people's uh, loyalty to want to work for you when you when you behave in the right way like that. And it's something which you mentioned earlier on, you know, sell the idea, inspire the execution. And that balance we speak about, so hard to achieve. When you have it, it just falls out of your grasp. It's just constantly iterated time and time again. But now in that first team environment where you are, having spent so much time as a, as a player developer, you're trying to get that balance right, aren't you, between developing not only players, but people as characters and human beings versus performance or and or performance at the weekend. I mean, how do you go about creating that environment where you have both in tandem 
I mean, it's a, I see it as a positive sum game, Harry, not zero sum. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I don't think they're, honestly, I think we've got to, you know, we've got to work hard, you know, as a collective, especially the new generation coming through, we've got to dispel this myth that you can't develop people and players and win. You can, you can. You look at every, every, you know, every dynasty that's done well in terms of, you look at Man United under Ferguson, you know, are you telling me that he wasn't, you know, what he did with Ronaldo was phenomenal. What he did with all of those players was phenomenal. What he did with Gary Neville, who was, you know, let's be honest, Gary Neville was limited. Gary Neville, Gary Neville's won the Champions League multiple times. You know, and I think, look at all the best coaches. The players get better under them. They become better people. They become more disciplined in their art. Um, and, you know, I think you can do, I think you can absolutely do both. I think successful teams, winning teams, you're developing people constantly. Um, if you, you know, if you can't get the, if you can't get the final result, but you're still developing people, then okay. Ultimately, we're judged on the results in this world. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell you many successful teams and winning teams that have not made individuals better. And then we spent a lot of time speaking about players, people, coaches that you're developing, making better. What about Harry Watling, the individual behind the coach? Who's developing you? Where are you exactly looking for that inspiration? I think a number of people. I think, I think my, my owner, um, my owner Bruce, develops me every day, pushes me, pushes me. I like being pushed. I'm someone I like to be stretched. I like to be put under pressure. Um, I like to be told when I'm when I'm when I'm wrong, when I'm out of line, when I need to be better at something. Um, and and now and again, I do like a well done. I think it's important, you know. People like a well done. I, I try and surround myself with people that are better than me, so that I constantly, you know, aspire to get to their level. So people like Steve Salis, who is, you know, a, a top top guy in terms of if you ever wanted to learn about how you learn, it's Steve. He's, he's a you know phenomenal person. He's again he's one of my best friends in the world. I spend a lot of time with Steve, but we speak a lot. He's got a brilliant book out called Educating Football. Um, he works in in a few professional football clubs um, as an advisor. But he's one. Liam Manning's another one that I trust implicitly. You know I, I want to aspire to get to that level where Liam's operating at now. Michael Beale is hands down the best coach I've ever seen on the grass. And I want to, you know, I want to, I want to be better than him. I want to be better than him. Um, but it's, there's so many. I just think you, you have to try as best you can to surround yourself with people that maintain that fire burning inside of, you know, they test you, they challenge you, they're honest. I think, you know, great mentors and good people around you, they'll always be honest. I call it, you know, clean feedback. Clean feedback. No, it's not personal, but it's, it's clean feedback. And then something that I've got written on one of me, one of my walls in my office is feedback is the food of champions. Take it on the chin, wear it, become better, grow from it, and, and then go from there. I'm sure everybody who's listening, Harry, listen intently, that is, they would have taken something away unique to them from this podcast. Something individually, something which they can apply not only to their own football coaching or their outside business such as yourself. But what would be the one piece of advice you would have for coaches listening that wish to embark upon a similar pathway, such as yourself? Again, it's a it's a it's a quote that that I use a lot. 
um, that was, you know, it was given to me by someone I really trust. Um, and it's no one is you and that is your power. And no one is as good as at being you than, than you are. So it's brilliant. You know, I, I constantly look at, you know, I want to be, I want to be as good as Brendan Rogers is in the media. I think Brendan Rogers has got a wonderful way of being articulate in the media. He speaks so well. When he describes his tactics, he sounds brilliant. I want to be as good as Guardiola on the tactics board. I want to be, you know, I want to be a genius. I want to be as good as Ferguson at uh, 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 individual man motivation. But no one is as good at being you as you are. So just really harness what your key strength is. I, I would I would go as far as getting a little, getting a bit of paper and writing down. What are, my, what are the three things that I'm good at? And that's a really difficult one when you're talking about yourself. But there will be a point in your career where you'd have had some feedback from, from a, a colleague, feedback from a parent, feedback from a player. And they might say, I love your, my, my son loves your sessions. Loves your sessions because, now it might be because you're so enthusiastic. It might be because they're learning all of the time. Now they might be learning because your detail is great. Well, they might be learning because they're in a state of flow in your environment. So you might be able to set an unbelievable environment. But write down your write down the things that you're good at and, and fly that flag and you know be good at those things. When I when I talk about the people that I, I really respect and I have close to me, they're all brilliant at something, but none of them are the same. None of them are the same. Um, you know, I've got people that are fantastic, I call them negotiators. So I, I know people that are negotiators. They can negotiate their way through tricky situations and come out on top. That's a skill. That's a skill that I want to acquire and learn about. I have people that lead. I know people that lead that when they speak, the room is just silent. The room is everyone's with them in the room. And I, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to make that acquisition to my to my skill set, my toolbox. But again, I'll go back to what are you good at? Make sure that you know what you're good at. Be yourself, be unique, and and try and add try and add as many good quality people around you in your circle as you can. And I mean to close, it's been that attitude to be to take that deep dive on yourself, to be self-aware, to have good mentors, to be willing to learn, which has been the foundation of your upward trajectory to date, Harry and. To me, it's so, it shows no signs of slowing down. And I think everybody listening to this podcast will be certainly following your journey and Hartford Athletics this season in the 2022 USL Championship. But aside from that, Harry, I mean, where's best to keep up to date with you in social media? Um, I've got, uh, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn um, and I'm on, uh, I've got an Instagram account, which, which I've, I update um regularly with the club the club helps me with that just to it just keeps fans engaged and put some bits out on you know some clips of how we you know our style of play and whatnot that's called uh harry watling coach um and then like i say on my linkedin i'll i'll post some bits just to just to keep everybody you know up to date with what's going on you know it would be difficult to get in touch with me at some points in the season because i'm so engrossed in everything but i say this all the time connor and i do genuinely mean it I try as best I can. Anyone that ever sends me an email or anyone that sort of sends me a message, um, I, I try and I try and write back. Um, people people ask to come in and watch. You know, I've got an open door policy. I've got nothing to hide. I'm not I'm not nervous about people. 
you know, copying work. I think it's the singer, not the song. I really think that's a, you know, that's a big thing. Um, but like I say, I try and I try and keep in touch with as many people as I can. And yeah, that would be the handles that you can sort of uh, keep up to date. Brilliant. Harry, thanks so much for coming on and best of luck for the forthcoming season. Keep in touch. Cheers, Connor. Thank you, mate.